Hi, you're listening to InsureTech Perspectives with Bolt. I'm your host, Fiona Mattesini, and my guest for episode three is David Lewin, Bolt's product vice president. So this is the episode where we talk about new trends and technologies, and I get to hear from somebody whose job it is to stay on top of these new trends and technologies, plus create a few ideas of his own. David and I covered lots of things, for example, humans v. robots. The finesse of where the world is today is knowing when to use the computer and when the person still needs a call, when the consumer needs a call. We'll also hear a few predictions. And I think you'll find that as more of these insurtech companies become more successful, you'll see more of the conservative players moving more and more as well to relying on the technologies. And learn a few lessons. It was a bit and is probably a bit too forward thinking for the insurance industry. Thanks for listening. Let's get David's perspective. David, welcome into the pod. It's uh, it's great to have you with me. And it's great to actually have somebody who's a little bit closer to my time zone. Just to be clear, you're over in Israel, as I am in the UK. Vice President of Product, my first question may be an obvious one, but I think it's a really good starting point to sort of orientate us and give a bit of context. What do you do day to day? So Fiona, first of all, thank you so much for hosting me. It's a real pleasure to be on this podcast series and I'm really excited for the next 20 minutes or so. What do I do every day? It's a good question. (laughs) Um, I'll divide it into two parts. Uh I look at where we're going directionally as a company, you know, looking at the strategy, thinking of new ideas, thinking of innovation and trying to really work out how we can be a market differentiator and also provide heaps of value to our customers then it's turning that into reality. So you can have great ideas, your, your head can be in the clouds, but you know your feet have to be on the ground. And we then turn those cool ideas into things which are usable and provide great value to our customers to sell insurance in, in a much better yeah. way. Which really leads me brilliantly onto my next question, because on this theme of trends and the future of insurance, and you've put that so brilliantly, there's so much going on, so much pace to insurance at the moment. It's a really exciting industry, but it's it must be hard to know what's going to stick. So can you call out a few trends or technologies that you think are here to stay or, or not, as the case may be? The insurance and the insured tech business is on absolute fire at the moment. Mm. And obviously now with COVID-19 or corona coming into play, it's really just accelerated the digital trends that are happening in insurance. I think the biggest change that we're seeing in insurance is really around the role of computer-centered design versus human-centered design and when the computer's the right mechanism to use and when the human's the right mechanism to use. And, And I'll give you a few examples The older way of working was what I call a case underwriting. You know, you wanted to insure your car, and to insure your car, you would have to speak to a human being, and the human being would assess what your risk profile Mm. is, what sort of vehicle you have, and and you would have to have that human conversation to ascertain that data, and the human would make the decision, you know, based off tables and and other things, but at at the end of the day, it was very much a human-based decision. I think now we're moving more to what I would call portfolio underwriting, where there's less humans involved in underwriting a policy. It's more 15, 20 years, 30 years ago, it was rule-based. It's now moving to machine learning models and artificial intelligence, where instead of just, you know, having a static piece of data, it's really 
computers learning and training themselves on the best way to ascertain risk. Uh So that's just one example of of a trend which is definitely here to stay. And I think we'll see more of that coming into the industry. And when we're talking about understanding risk and that underwriting of it, also for the person answering the questions. So in the past, if I had to fill out an insurance form, you know, I was answering 100 questions Mm. so they could make those decisions. Now, at least know, 100 questions. At least 100 questions. You know, it takes 20 <laughs> minutes to fill out the form. You call the agent on You're the right. phone. It's a long process. N- nowadays, you literally can go to a website and you can type in, you know, the address of your property and you pretty much can get an instantaneous quote. That's just not because insurance companies are saying we're willing to insure you because you gave us an address. It's because there's technology at play there where they're understanding what that address is about. They, they can use third-party data services yeah. They can predict data there. So, for example, if you want to know the number of stories in the house, usually you would have to ask how many stories do you have. I mean, nowadays you can go to Google Street View and you can just look at the picture and see how many stories are there. Yeah. It's, it's just a different world. Yeah. And that's just one example of one data field. You, you can do that for, you know, 50 to 80 of the data fields that insurance forms need. So I think the trends around using artificial intelligence and machines to help sell, underwrite, also process claims in insurance. Mm. It's, it's very much a trend here to stay. But the human element is also critical. So you can't just have a, a computer as a solution. The finesse of where the world is today is knowing when to use the computer and when the person still needs a call, mm. when the consumer needs a call yeah. to help them out, to explain a concept to them. And the ones that are successful are knowing when the computer's right and when to use the human. Yeah, that, and that's the art form. Gosh, so much there. Let me just chip in with a very, very quick question because my immediate cynicism thinks how accurate is the AI and the machine learning that is potentially making decisions? Or are you saying it's mostly accurate and then that's where the human beings come in to double check everything? which is, I guess, a different question, but I'm just kind of wondering about accuracy. And is AI becoming more accurate in order to be used by insurance? I've given you about five questions in in, in one there. Sorry, David. Pick whatever one you want. It's a good question. So, I mean, the accuracy levels are just going up and up as, you know, the development teams develop better algorithms, they model the data in a better way. Mm. But, I mean, I, I can tell you now that we do a lot of this stuff in Bolt. We use a lot of artificial intelligence and lots of predictions. And we actually are in a great driving position in that we can actually measure how accurate we were. So we'll predict, for example, what heating type was was in a house based off a data model that we've built. Mm -hmm. Now, we know what we predicted and we store that value. And then when the consumer comes to confirm that or the agent comes to confirm that, they can change that value if they want. And they can say, once I've actually gone to the website and I say, you've suggested that my heating type is this, but... It's really this instead. So, so I predicted it was X and the person on the website came and said, you know, it's actually Y. Mm. So we've got that data mm. available. And we're seeing in most cases, you know, 95 to 99, close to 100% accuracy in, in the ways that our models are predicting things. So I really do believe the accuracy's gone absolutely bonkers compared to what it was. And, and you look at all these new insurtechs coming through mainly, I mean, in the US market, you've got your lemonades and your hippos and your next that there. They're not exposing the full question set because they're so confident in the data that they're generating Mm. as carriers that they're happy to ask you three questions to underwrite your risk. They're not doing the same that we're validating that Mm. input. So these guys are really trusting the data and and the accuracy of it. And I think you'll find that as more of these insurance companies become more successful, you'll see more of the conservative players moving more and more as well to relying on the technologies. What about, before I move on, APIs? Because it's one of those buzz terms that you just can't move for people talking about APIs. 
I was talking to somebody about APIs about a year ago, then it occurred to me, I'm not even really sure I know what an API is. Like I have a basic understanding. It seems that everyone's talking about APIs. Is that something that's hitting the US market? I don't know how technical the, the listeners of this podcast will be. So maybe I'll just explain in, in my yeah. you know, dumb words what, what an API is. <laughs> and by the way, it's so, it's so important for me as the, you know, the product technology guy in our company that the business people understand what they're getting because the technology can provide so much value, but often you, know, you get the computer geeks hiding behind a secret language that no one actually knows what it means. And, and API, yes, uh-huh. <laughs> right. and, and API is really super simple. One party requests a piece of information, and this is, by the way, I'm really dumbing this down. Good. So, if, if there are any computer engineers listening, I apologize. No, no, no. We like <laughs> it's a lot more no, complicated. No, no, no. Than of this, course. But, but this yeah, is a simple version. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Sorry. Um, so, someone requests a piece of information, and someone returns what that requested piece of information is. That's as simple as you can put it in terms of APIs. It does get more complex than that, and there are different types. But that's the basic premise. There's a request, and then someone sends back a response. And a simple example of an API, not in the insurance industry, is you know you could be talking to Alexa, for example, and you tell Alexa, hey, what's the weather today? And Alexa comes back to you and says it's 35 degrees Celsius, that is, in London. Oh, I don't know if that would happen ever, Fiona. Yeah, but, you know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Alex is broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The API went wrong. But um, <laughs> effectively, what, what's actually happened technically behind the scenes is that Alex is actually going and, and calling you know, Google or some weather bureau, and they're saying, Google slash weather bureau, can you please let me know? Here's my request. My request is tell me what the weather is in London for today. And they pass through parameters. And then that Google or that weather bureau, whoever it is, will return back to Alexa saying it's 27 degrees mm. in London today. Mm. So Great. that's all an API is. Now, in terms of the insurance industry, it's so critical that more and more insurers are moving to a way of working with APIs because what it does is it opens up, and again, sorry to use buzzwords, it opens up ecosystems and allows insurers not just to speak within their, themselves, but to speak with other players in the market. And what we as Bolt do and bring to the market is is a way to centralize or put on one platform multiple insurance quotes. So you type in your house and instead of coming saying, okay, this is the price, we actually come back with you know five or six different prices from the different carriers that we've spoken to. And, and all we do is we just talk to them on an API. Yeah, yeah. So we just say, yeah. okay, in the request message, this is the address, this is how many stories the house is, you know, this is the, the heater type, whatever information that the carriers are asking us for, we send that off to the carriers. And in microseconds, they come back with the answer saying, thanks to your request of, with all that information, our response is, this policy is $1,000, this policy is $1,500, we're going to cover you for up to this amount, etc. That's all the API is, it's, it's just a backwards and forwards, someone requesting information, someone responding. And without it, you can't get these valuable propositions that the insurance market has to offer. Yeah, so it's a simple concept, but actually it's part of the magic, really, when you think about it, because as you say, this happens and it happens in microseconds. How much of your work is you observing consumer habits and creating products to match these consumer habits or expectations versus greenfielding, let's say, brand new ideas and persuading everyone to early adopt these? I guess, in other words, what role does behavioral economics play? Are you guys leading the way and saying, hey, follow us, this is going to be cool? Or are you watching consumers and going, oh, they want this? Let me create a product to match. A great question. And in, when you say what I do day to day, that, that's exactly what I do with the right. brainstorming. <laughs> so it's critical for us that we bring propositions to the market that are new, that are innovative, and that pushes boundaries that that haven't been there before. 
But at the same time, we don't want to over-innovate. So the way that I look at it is we're looking, you know, two to three to four to five years in the future. We're not looking 30 years in the future. And I'll give you a typical example. So, you know, one of the hot words on the market was blockchain, um, you know, with the rise of Bitcoin and all this Mm. sort of stuff. And everyone was looking at blockchain. Everyone was saying it's a new thing. It's going to change industry, brings trustworthiness. And everything they're saying is true. But, you know, five years ago, if you were to say, is the industry going to be fully in blockchain in five years? I would have told you five years ago, no. And it's not a technology that we would have overinvested in. We would have explored it and got a sense of what it was about. But it was a bit and is probably a bit too forward thinking for the insurance industry. So 2015 to 2020, hardly anyone's adopted blockchain. There are cases of it. There definitely are cases and there are definitely good use cases, but it's not a mainstream technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not something we would have invested in and, and looked into back in that day. If you ask me, is blockchain going to be around in 2030 and a, a great thing? Definitely. I think you'll see it being adopted more and more, but it's not what we look to do. We, we don't just take a technology and put it in because it's the trend and the buzz and that's what we do. What we really want to do, and I think it addresses your question, is really understand what consumers are looking for and how we can provide consumers, agents, carriers, you know, real value in the, in the insurance chain. And might use an older technology and might use a newer technology, but what's important for us is how do we ensure that the buying process of insurance is suited for that person who's trying to buy insurance? Yeah. And just to give you an example, <laughs> everyone's talking about, hey, I mentioned it before about Alexa, a broken Alexa, mm-hmm. but um, people are talking about buying insurance over Alexa. Now, do I think people will buy over Alexa? Potentially. But if you look at it, it's probably more targeted towards a a millennial person. I I don't think there's going to be anyone who's retired looking to buy the insurance over Alexa. I might be wrong. Yeah, I think it's a generational thing. And I think it's a product thing too, right? I think if it was a bit of micro insurance for for auto, maybe. But I think if it was my own life insurance, I would be seriously doubtful. For me. Exactly. And that's, and that's where the behavioral comes yeah. into, right? So if you want to get yeah, life insurance, you're not going to buy that over a device. Mm. But if you talk about this micro insurance with a single ride trip that you're just taking one ride now in your auto vehicle and just that one trip will get insured for a couple of dollars. I mean, that's definitely something when you start your car, you just say, hey, Alexa, can you sell me insurance mm. or turn on my insurance? That's definitely a use case. So I think we look at it per each individual buying journey and try to work out what that consumer is looking for for that specific experience. And again, what, not just the experience, but also the profile of that person. Make sure it's personalised and make sure it's targeted towards them. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you seem to have in common with Jim and with David B, David Brandeis, and I'm sure that this is not coincidence, I'm sure this is all part of the Bolt mindset, is this confidence in terms of we're not going to just use tech, shiny new tech for the sake of it. And I do get a real sense from all of you and from our brief conversation in setting up this podcast that you feel it's really important to discern when to leverage all these exciting new technologies and create exciting new products. And by contrast, to know when to hit pause or simply to wait. And blockchain is a great example. So I feel reassured, if that's the right word, as you say that you're not innovating for the sake of it, that tech is an enabler, but I'm quoting you back at you here, but only in the right hands. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I'm a technology guy and I do love to play with the new technologies and see what's out there. But at the end of the day, we're a business that's there to help our consumers, um, help our agents and help our carriers. If they don't need the technology, they don't need the technology. Mm. If we can use that technology to give them the value, then we're the first ones to take up that technology. The absolute first. We've got an innovation lab and we're, we're exploring things and we're always trying to find ways that it could help. 
but we're the first ones to raise our hands and say, hey, we've looked at the technology, we've looked at this use case. It sounds cool on paper, but there's not the big value yeah. proposition that yeah. we thought there yeah. would be. So at Vault, you have $5 billion US dollars worth of annual premium revenue. And obviously from that, you can extrapolate a lot of information about who your customers are and what they might need. What is the overarching Vault philosophy around data management and data in general? Jeez, Fiona, you ask all the tough questions, eh? Good questions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The first thing I would say is that data is not new to the insurance industry. I mean... The insurance industry has always been about data and a big set of data in order to make sure that they're profitable. It's a numbers game insurance at the end of the day. Data has always been the forefront of insurers' minds. Now, what I think is changing, though, over the last 10, 20 years is consumers understanding that so much data is being captured, so much data is available. And there's that sense of concern, which is right. I mean, I'm a technology guy, but I'm also a consumer of things. You know, I do worry who's going to take my data and who's going to use my data. And I think you're seeing naturally governments start to regulate that more. The big one, and it's a little bit old now, but it's still fresh, is GDPR in Europe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the European Union got together and, and put together a set of really stringent and tough laws around GDPR with big fines, you know. Mm that address this issue of data management. I mean, us as Bolt, whenever we design any new feature or or new item that we're going to do or expose data or play with data, whatever we're going to do with data, we always flag it, first of all, to our chief information security officer. We don't play around with these things. We know that we've got a lot of data that we're sitting on and that we're holding. We definitely need to use it in a responsible way and we need to protect it in a responsible way. But without that data, we couldn't provide the value that we're providing either. So, I mean, you've got $5 billion worth of premium. That's hundreds of thousands of insurance policies that you can create these data model things and what I mentioned before about putting in your address and, and that's all you need to do. So without the data, we couldn't do it. But at the same time, we know that's our responsibility. We know we need to protect it and we use every mechanism possible to ensure that that's not going to leak out to anybody that we're only going to hold that information as we need to, anonymize it in every single instance that, that we use it. So um, we're very robust mm-hmm. um, in terms of our security and, and very much you know, a security mind yeah. first. And as you said, insurers, really, you guys were the original big data company. I mean, that this is this is how insurance operates, which is, which is a perspective that people often don't think about, but it's true. If we were to hive off data-led insurance as a theme in itself... Where do you see that going? Or can you give any examples of where you see data-led insurance as being a product in itself? Oh, I mean, everything's going to use data. It doesn't matter if you're in the underwriting area, if you're in the claims management area of insurance, if you're in the distribution, which is what we're in. I mean, just to run off distribution, so we've created a new proposition where we allow any website to embed a widget into the current website. So take a real estate company, for mm-hmm. example. So you're going to buy a house and you're, or renting a house and, and you're looking to budget. You want to know how much is your insurance policy going to be and potentially to buy one down the track. What we've done is we've enabled a widget that displays on that the realtor's website that will show you what your potential insurance premium is going to be and even allow you to click through and, and buy that insurance mm-hmm. afterwards. Now, the magic of that is data-driven. We're running all of our artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms and third-party data sources, and we're coming back with a pretty good estimated quote from that. So without all that data available, we wouldn't be able to, to run that use case. So that's an example where 
you've just provided an amazing service to a consumer who doesn't know if they can afford that rental yeah. or not. Now they know. They know that it's going to be this much a week or this much a month. Plus, here's one of my costs is going to be insurance that I know I need to get to protect mm, the things yeah. I love. And it's all seamless as well. And and the conversation isn't just around your data, but third party and new types of data, which we have sort of touched on. So when we talk about underwriting, which is very often a mystery to those of us on the outside, traditionally, as you've said, insurers would ask question upon question. But today, it is feasible that insurers can pull in really accurate third party data from companies such as Google or companies, as you've said, that can provide data on how much a house on your street has, has sold for or whatever. And rather than bothering the end customer to dig out this information for themselves, savvy insurers are very quietly working behind the scenes to do the legwork on behalf of the consumer. Do you use much third-party data or, or big data at Bolt, or do you primarily work with your own data, or what's the what's the balance between the two? Good question. We, we use a mix of both. It's yeah. no secret there are these third-party data services available. So, for example, if you're buying an auto insurance policy, you can just type in your address and we'll come back saying these cars and these drivers are registered to the address. So we use services like that. We use services around property data. We even use services around commercial insurance, like small, medium, commercial, that type in your business name and address and we'll come back classifying, you know, <laughs> are you a beautician or yeah, your accountant yeah. or your lawyer, whatever you are. So, yeah, we use that stuff. We develop a lot of the models in-house ourselves with all the data we have, but we do use a third party as well to supplement that. I mean... Your professional background is a, is a real blend of skill sets from technology to 15 years in general insurance. And one of the things your LinkedIn profile tells me is that you're a real advocate for explaining technical concepts and language, which we touched on earlier with the API chat. And that's a big, big part of good culture too, right? A hundred percent. I get frustrated when people come to me and just start explaining a technical concept or whatever it is. I always say, hold on, let's take a step back. Give me some context here. Can you explain, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing, and then let's dive into it. And, and I think there's a lot of frustration generally within businesses, not just the insurance industry, across industry. People are worried about their P&L and you know, their the revenue targets and their KPIs. And then they come to the technology team and say, hey, can you just do this for me? And I don't think they actually understand what they want done, why they want it to be done, and then they don't actually understand what they get. Yeah. You have to explain what you've built. Yeah. And, and the API is a great example. You can't go to the business guy, I built you an API, so everything's going to yeah, be great. Yeah, you you yeah. have to actually explain to him, what, what I've actually built you is Alexa is now going to speak to this and that's going to allow you to work 10% quicker than you were able to work before or whatever it is. But it's yeah. just so important to provide the context and make sure that everyone who's using the technology understands it. So you're based out in Tel Aviv, but I can spot the Australian accent. So why did you move to Israel and, and what's life like over there? I absolutely love Australia as a country. It's one of the most brilliant countries out there. Israel, though, is just such an attractive country in terms of the technology, the innovation. I mean, it's known as a startup nation, and I don't think it's a startup nation anymore. I really think it's turned into a real mature technology nation. Mm. You look at, like, the number of technology companies per capita, and, and Israel leads it by far. You look at the amount of venture capital pouring into Israel at the moment. The Israeli shekels just strengthened over the last five to seven years twofold, mm. just because there's just so much money being poured in, because there's just such faith in the technology ecosystem here. And it's just such a pleasure to work in a country where, you know, everyone's pushing each other, everyone's pushing the mm. limits. I absolutely love it. How different is it from Australia in terms of lifestyle? It's actually very similar, believe it or not. It's similar but different. I always say Australians are some of the most relaxed people out there. Yeah. <laughs> You've got this perception, especially the British, they watch, you know, Neighbours and, and think that's Australia. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but Australians are extremely relaxed because, you know, they have no worries, as we say in Australia. You know, there's literally no worries in, in Australia. But um, 
In Israel, there are so many worries. You know, no secret that it's a, a tense part of the world at times. But because at times there are so many worries, everyone just goes above it and just forces themselves to relax and to have a good time. And you go out, the bars are full every night and people are always socialising and people care about each other. And it's just such a nice environment to live in. There are tough times here as well, but uh, overall I absolutely love it and don't regret my decision for one second. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Fiona. Really, really appreciate the opportunity. And that ends our podcast. If you want to learn more, head to boltinsurance.com and do make sure you follow Bolt on LinkedIn because we'll be putting a load of bonus content on there as well. You've been listening to InsurTech Perspectives with Bolt. My name's Fiona Mattesini. Thanks for listening.